0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. I am excited to be with you today as we have three guests from the SoCal Vintage Baseball League. They're here to talk about what they do in terms of running a vintage baseball league and talk to us a little bit about the differences between what you can expect to see in a game back in the late 1800s to now. So I'd like to welcome Chris, who is here on behalf of the Riverside Smudge Pots. And we have Wes, who is the commissioner and captain of the Crestline Highlanders. Welcome, Wes. And then we have Travis, who is here as captain of the Palmdale Blue Stockings. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, you know, for me, um, I honestly didn't realize that there were active leagues out there that practice vintage baseball rules. Um, my, my story in terms of coming across you guys was I found uh, Chris's Instagram page for the Smudge Pots and started looking through some, some posts and thought, oh, this is neat, and then learned a little bit more about it. And uh, you know I was fascinated to find out by doing some more Instagram research and, and internet research in general that there are vintage baseball leagues all the way across the US. Um, and it's neat to see that this, this is a really, uh, a really widespread thing. And, um, I guess my only claim to, to, to knowing about vintage baseball games is, uh, I grew up right outside of Clinton, Massachusetts, and they have their claim to fame. That town is they have Fuller field, which is uh, at least according to the Guinness world book of records is the oldest, uh, continually operating ballpark in the world. And wow. so, uh. Yeah, every July they would do a vintage baseball game where community members would come and they would play by vintage rules and they would have outfits to wear, but it would be more of a pickup style type of thing. So, uh, this is very exciting for me to learn more about this. And I just want to thank you guys for coming on the show. And I'd like to go ahead and jump right into some of the questions that not only I have, but I'm sure other listeners have as well about this. So, guys, if if I were to show up to one of your games and, and I'm unfamiliar with vintage baseball rules, what would be some of the main differences? between a vintage baseball game and watching a regular modern day major league baseball game?
1: Uh, this is Wes. And, and the first thing uh, that you would notice would be the uniforms. Um, uniforms are um, 19th century uniforms. Um, something almost like you would see an eight men out maybe in a movie like that or fill the dreams, but even a little bit older than that. So that would be one of the first things you would notice um, when it goes to rules. Um, you have uh, seven balls to a walk, and uh, you still have the three strikes. Um, you'll notice that batters will not wear helmets or batting gloves or sunglasses. Um, the players are not identified by numbers or names on the back of their uh, jerseys. It's just mainly a uh, you represent a town or a city. Um, You'll see a you'll see a umpire that's referred to as a sir, who will have a top hat. You'd um, be dressed maybe in a tie, uh, suspenders, uh, kind of dressed like he just got off of work, uh, maybe uh, at a at a as a judge or some kind of uh, um, public authority or something. Uh, no, you'll be calling uh, the balls and strikes and the outs, and uh, you might. See him wearing or smoking a cigar while he's doing this
0: okay um,
2: and, yeah, yeah also so this is uh, yeah. this is chris from the riverside smudge pots also one of the main things is the the equipment that you'll see or the lack thereof um the catchers do not have shin guards uh they, uh, the players out on the field, or the ballists, as we call them, they, uh, they're wearing like a, basically a garden glove, for lack of better words, um, as far as uh, the equipment's concerned. So that's one thing that kind of
3: sticks out. And Chris? I was going to say, the, uh, this is Travis, uh, with Chris. the uh, blue stockings. Um, yeah, the, uh, the reason that the umpires is dressed differently and, and dressed so uh, uh, you know, officially is because uh, going back to that time period, uh, the... The umpire was usually a clergy member who uh, was above reproach, who uh, everyone trusted their judgment and their fairness. So uh, the umpire was not to be questioned uh, by anybody uh, in the stands or on the field. And his ruling was final. So uh, there was a formality to his address that you wouldn't see uh, nowadays.
0: So you wouldn't have the manager coming out and kicking dirt on home plate, I (laughs) guess, huh? (laughs) So... With with the rules that you just mentioned, with with uh, especially trying to keep the historical aspect to the game, do you have official rules set where if a guy decides to show up from one of the teams with sunglasses on, that's a that's a no no right off the bat?
1: Right, we we are dressing our umpires to make sure uh, to let uh, the the players know um, when they don't have to when they can't wear uh, sunglasses or eye black, and we and our captains also are aware of the rules. So they're, um,
3: keeping their teams in order.
0: And and what's the size of a a team that you, how many guys
3: per team do you field usually? Well, Um, we have to have the the, the usual nine on the field. Um, but, uh, we try to keep our roster, uh, you know, about 15, 12 to 15. Okay. Very good. And, and Chris, going
0: back to what you mentioned, you, you said that, you know, there's certainly a lack of equipment compared to today's players. Um, for all of you guys, what what's some of the most difficult differences in playing vintage versus modern baseball?
2: I would say definitely the glove. <laughs> so everything, even if you grew up playing baseball, you know the game. You feel like you're somewhat, you know, decent of a player. Once you get out there with the glove, it's just uh, just getting used to um, catching a ball without any padding. Uh, that's that's difficult, and just like kind of slowing down the game so that you're not gunning a ball at someone at first base and they have that limited equipment. So that's been my biggest challenge. I think most of the players on my team, I think it's the glove.
0: Now, Chris, could you walk us through for people who haven't seen a a glove used in a vintage baseball league? What are we talking about here? Is it like basically a glorified leather glove? What does it look like?
2: Yeah, it's like a glorified, like a isotoner, little leather glove um, that, you know, kind of fits snugly on the hand. Um, there are, there is a a newer model with a little bit of padding, but most guys use the one with almost absolutely nothing on it. Um, and then the catcher's glove is, is, has a little bit more padding, but, uh, definitely, uh, nothing that you would imagine in today's day and age. So when you bend over for a ball, when you're used to having about four inches touch to touch the, you know, the ground, you just don't have that. So trying to backhand and everything is a lot more difficult. Now, and is on top that, of that, there's no webbing between the the fingers. Yeah, the, the web. Top. Yeah, no webbing either. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, is that the same for the catcher as well, or has the catchers mitt evolved differently up until this point with vintage rules?
1: Well, the, oh, the, the glove. Yeah. The glove. This is Wes. Um, the glove that uh, we were using. Um, well, they were using up uh, in the in the Bay Area, which they have another uh, leak. Um, was a little bit uh, less padded, no web, and. Um, so we kind of uh, bend the rules a little bit, and uh, you know, a lot of uh, <laughs> pur- purists will not like to hear this, but we bend the rules a little bit because we we stepped it up to a 1915 uh, glove, which has more padding, still no webbing. We take out the web, um, and the reason being is because a lot of guys were actually breaking fingers, and they got to work the next day, so it was good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's another, this is Chris from the smudge pause. That's that's another thing that we've discussed as far as rules is as most, you know, all these guys got to go to work on Monday morning. I have a guy, you know, it's like a computer programmer. I know that sounds like some demonry right there. Computers, but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, like that's his, that's how he makes his money and, you know, takes care of his family is with this, you know, programming and you break your, you know, break your hand or finger out there or you collision at the plate. That's when some, something that, you know, West has been very mindful of when
0: he, and he kind of came up the rules for the league. so Yeah, you can't lose the moneymakers, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're on the topic of equipment, guys, what do you do behind the plate on offense? What do you do for bats? Does that look the same as a modern-day baseball bat?
3: Um, this is Travis. The bat, uh, a modern-day bat, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is between 32 and 35 ounces. Uh, the vintage bats that we use, they're special-made uh, by one of the ballists in the Bay Area, and it's a uh, minimum of 40 ounces. And what we use on the Blue Stockings, it's 35 inches long and it's completely solid. It's never going to break and it's about 42 and a half ounces. So you're out there swinging a pretty good piece of lumber.
0: So you guys have, uh, you must have all gym memberships for all team members, I'm assuming. (laughs) My goodness, that's a heavy,
3: heavy piece of wood. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, we had a new guy come out to practice yesterday for the first time and he picked up the bat and he said, well, that doesn't feel that much different doesn't feel too heavy and we said okay stand there and take a few swings and after about his uh you know 10th or 12th swing he looked like he was getting pretty tired he said this is a lot more difficult than it looked like at first wow
0: and and what do you notice in terms of the players that play on these teams especially when they first start like you mentioned do you have a high ratio of ground balls with using these types of bats? Do you get a lot of homers? What's the average, uh, you know, hit cycle like for someone using this equipment?
3: Well, it also comes down to the ball. The ball is made differently. It's the old dead ball. Um, so at the beginning of a game, it's it feels hard like a modern ball. Um, but as uh, we play with one ball for the entire game, whether it's hit out of the park or whether it gets dirty or wet, uh, it becomes a little bit mushy, a little bit soft so by the end of the game, the ball doesn't fly off the bat nearly as hard as it does at the beginning of the game. So you're going to see a lot more, you know, fly balls in the middle of the game than you will towards the end.
0: Travis, can you talk a little bit about, for our listeners who are unfamiliar, what's that ball made out of during this time, the ones you play with? That's actually a Wes question. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Wes. Passing it off
1: um i'm not exactly sure what it's made out of but um it's definitely not like your modern ball like travis was saying it was it's a lot it's a, l- a little bit softer um kind of look has the same type of stitching um the only the only thing is it's um it, it gets softer and softer and we play with one ball the whole game i mean well. that's what you typically try to um gun for you know uh nowadays with uh how fields are made we, we may lose a ball and have to replace it but we typically try to stick to the same ball the whole entire game which makes it a lot uh very difficult um to throw if it gets wet or muddy or whatever you know so um, I'm not sure exactly what it's made out of it, I mean we have someone who who's in charge of that um, um so I, I don't know what to tell you <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I don't think it's yeah, I, it's not wrapped as tight.
3: Then I'll start so. a new <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's it certainly- I believe part of it. I, I believe it's similar. It's it's you know uh, I believe it's a cork center with twine or string. Uh, yeah. It's just wrapped by hand instead of by machine, so it's a little looser. Yet. Yeah, okay. It's, it's
1: wound. It's not wound as
0: tight. So you're dealing with a ball that essentially gets heavier as the game goes on and softer. So that presents a whole new uh difficulty for for players as the game goes on then yes definitely so you know we in in, along the same line talking about difficulties guys talking to me about the uniforms are you wearing straight wool out there in the southern california sun or what what is it (laughs) well uh,
3: palmdale for those who don't know it's an hour north of los angeles and we're in the middle of the mojave desert where they film (laughs) jeans for pretty much every movie that's ever set in a desert, all the Westerns, uh, you know, and there's a, a Mad Max festival that happens out here every year just for, uh, you know, for that kind of thing. So it tends to be in the triple digits in the summer. Uh, we, we get to 112, 115 on a regular basis. And yes, our, our uniforms are made out of wool. So that's going to be, a uh, as we're going here into our first season, that's going to be a bit of of an issue. Uh, We did design them to have lace-up fronts instead of uh, button-up fronts, so we can kind of loosen those if we need to. And uh, we did cheat a little bit and have a a slight uh, cotton wool blend to to make it breathe a little bit more. But they are heavy and um, thick, yes. Well, I I can't
0: blame you guys for cutting some corners triple digits and wool. I just, I can't imagine that. Wow. (laughs) More power to you. Um, In terms of some of the secret weapon against Crestline. Say one more time.
3: That's our secret weapon against Crestline. Oh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) good factor in there. I like that. Very good. So actually I'm going to save that question for later. I wanted to talk to you guys about what your travels like in terms of, you know, visiting and and going back and forth, but um, are there any other, I guess, major difficulties in terms of differences where, you know, kids playing regular Little League today just would not understand if they went and watched one of you guys in terms of what you deal with. Well, like one thing
2: uh, that um, – this is Chris from the Smudge Pots. We played an exhibition game against uh, Wes's team, the Highlanders, and one thing I don't think we were ready for, being that they played a few games already, was the quick pitch. So the minute <laughs> that the pitcher or the hurler gets the ball back into kind of like the – the circle and um in front of the mound they're able to pitch at will so uh, there's no getting out of the box taking a few swings or anything like that once the hurler gets the ball they're they're able to throw it back so we had a guy on our team strike out literally it took about like 10 seconds and he looked at three (laughs) three pitches (laughs) he was subsequently given the nickname the looker which is kind of (laughs) stuck (laughs) <laughs> so he's kind of owned that and yeah so that was one thing that i was like whoa and i think that really um kind of messed up our our uh, our pace of the game but i think kids
0: would wouldn't get that one interesting so that, there's,
3: that being said uh, it is very much a hitters game because of the the high county you know, seven balls um so our scores tend to look more like football scores uh the one game that we played against the Highlanders, uh they beat us 28 to 3 um you know which that won't happen again but uh <laughs> it it uh it is definitely uh, very much a hitters game uh, even with that fast pitching
0: now would you credit the high scoring games uh, the normal nature of that to the lack of defensive tools like you know a better glove or is it the speed of the ball coming off the bat what, what would be the main reason for those high scores
3: all of the above
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah
1: there's not there's not one play this is west there's not one play that's routine anymore in this game so um you got to run everything out and you just never know because uh the ball and, and the equipment is just uh limited and you know, you just uh, the games could uh, could get a high score on there. So, hmm.
0: interesting. So, guys, talk to me a little bit about the roots of baseball in Southern California. Um, when did baseball start there? What's what's the uh, what's the background story to the birth of baseball around there? Well, that's something where I, I this is Wes. This is something I'm still kind of
1: researching. Um, when it comes to Southern California. There is a limited, uh, as far as I've seen, it's just not uh, documented as well as maybe Northern California. Northern California has a rich history right now. Um, Southern California is just, uh, we're trying to discover, you know, um, whatever we can. We're looking through, uh, you know, I've, I've come across newspaper clippings of maybe a, some something that says a, a team, a club from here, play at a club from there. And that's all the information you get. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not very much, um, as of right now, um, we're still digging. Um, but I'm hoping to come across a lot more, um, maybe, you know, talking to some more people in, um, who are, who have to do with history, uh, historians, or, you know, going to the public libraries and looking through newspaper clippings. And so it's just something that's ongoing right now. It's, uh, it's pretty new to us. It's, it's pretty new to everyone out here, I think. Uh, when it ta- when you're talking about 19th century,
0: well, maybe I can help you guys out. I can dedicate an episode to this, but yeah,
3: well, <laughs> but, but this so, is Travis. I was going to yeah. say that uh, one thing we do know is is that uh, there were a number of teams in the Southern California area. Um, one, the most prominent, of which was the original Los Angeles Angels, um, who who played in the late 1800s, and their uh, their big rival was the Hollywood Stars um and so if we get a new team starting up either in uh, los angeles or hollywood that name uh, should be available hmm, very good right,
0: you know i'd like to go through and ask each you about your uh respective towns and team names because you know it's always interesting to see the birth of uh, you know an actual name based on geographically where they are so wes i'd like to start with you you are the captain of the crestline highlanders uh, do you have any background information on the origin of that name?
1: Well, um, I, I live in the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California, so I'm way up about five to 6,000 feet. Oh. And, <laughs> and right now, um, I, I do have some uh, friends that are historians up here in the mountain, and there is no accounts of anyone really uh, playing baseball up here at any time. Um, I'm sure there maybe might've been a stick, uh, some kind of form of a game going, but nothing maybe organized at all. So, um, I live in Crestline and it's a small town It kind of, it kind of, um, when you read about the vintage, about baseball, um, years ago, it was, a it was like a town, you know, town versus town type of thing going. So small town area. So this is kind of that feeling. Um, I wanted to keep. Although Crestline's not the original name of this town, it went back to Houston Flats. Um, it's called Crestline now, and I kind of wanted to just base it off of that because uh, the community uh, needs something to rally around, and a lot of them are just unfamiliar with the, some of the old terms of this town. And uh, it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really, um, uh, it, it wasn't really looked at as a town that. Uh, that was going to be established for people were going to live. It was just being used for like, uh, for build. Uh, they were they were just setting up camps here and they were building uh, Lake Arrowhead and these different other towns that they felt like were going to be more prominent. And then eventually it settled um, and became Crestline. But um, the Highlanders, the name I chose was I was trying to do research on see to see what was the oldest. There's a lumber industry here, a lumbering industry. So I was trying to figure uh, what would sound right or what, uh, if I can go back as far as I could. And the only thing I came across really is that this, um, the Serrano Indians used to live up here doing, during the summers and during the winter, they would go down the hill, down the mountain. But um, a lot of the Spaniards that were in the area down in San Bernardino areas, um, which is the city below, would call the Serrano Indians the Highlanders. That was like their nickname. Oh, the Highlanders. So I just thought, you know, they've been around forever, just to pay heritage to them. I I said, you know, we should be called the Highlanders. So Crestline Highlanders, that's how they came about. And, and and another little thing, and this is, isn't this isn't something I chose uh or really meant to do, but um we have this joke on the mountain that when people come from the city up the mountain for you know when it snows and they want to hang out out here we call them the flatlanders that's kind of their <laughs> it's kind of their nickname you know because they don't know what they're doing when they come up here they they're driving on the wrong side of the road and different things but, um, so you know it's it's it, it kind of goes with it they're the flatlanders we're up here high and we're the highlanders so there's a
0: couple <coughs> <dumb laughs> terms
1: right there for you but that's how i chose the name i just decided to give give homage to the uh, to the native indians that used to live here
0: I like it that that's that's a neat historical tie, so let's move on to Chris you know you were the first account I came across on Instagram with you guys, and my first question when I saw it was what the bleep is a smudge pop so <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit about your team name, the Riverside smudge pots? Where did that come yes, from Which, uh, yeah, so this is something that was kind of hard
2: um originally I tried i Found out um, through a Facebook post about Wes's team. So I tried to join the Highlanders. I wasn't allowed because I was a Flatlander. <laughs> um, but hey, but Wes was like, hey, start a team in Riverside. I grew up in the city. I've been involved as a docent at you know the Mission Inn Hotel, which is a National Historic Landmark. So I've been in the history of it all. And uh, so the first thing we were going to call our team was the Riverside Citrus due to the citrus industry that Riverside was known for. And then, um, it just wasn't clicking. It just didn't sound right. And I wanted something a little bit more quirky, um, a little quirkier. And so a smudge pot is an orchard heater, um, that prevented the orange or, you know, orange industry and, uh, citrus in general, from, um, um, from, you know, all the trees from freezing over during the cold winters. And so Riverside had this huge freeze in the early 1900s and the, the smudge pots really, uh, you know, came in after that and, you know, prevented that freeze from happening because Riverside was just had such a burgeoning citrus industry in the in eighteen ninety five Riverside was the richest city per capita uh due to the naval oranges. So so that's kind of where the smudge pots came in. So we take a smudge pot to every game and we have it out there. And when we win a game, which we didn't do our first time out, we're gonna try to, you know, make some smoke come out of the, the smudge <laughs> pot. <laughs> yeah. So
0: well, By hey. the way,
1: the, the Riverside team hit, was an actual team back in eighteen
0: seventy-eight. Okay, so there, it's there's the Club of Riverside. Yeah, so, so Yeah, Riverside.
2: yeah. So yeah, West made me aware of that. So there are a lot of teams in Southern California that just weren't very uh, you know, they're a little bit boring when it came to the their namesake. So it was like Club of Riverside <laughs> or Club of like Colton, which is uh, nearby. So Riverside was in existence as a team from eighteen seventy eight to actually nineteen oh nine. They had a club, um, and like Wes said, like there'll be a newspaper article that just said this team played this team or this team practiced on this date, and uh, so there's just not a lot there. Uh, I've consulted local historians, and they haven't really <laughs> sent me too much either. But uh, we're definitely on the on the pursuit of um, you know learning more about the the baseball landscape in the late 1800s.
0: Very good. Yeah, I mean, uh, it seems like at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, people were more concerned with nicknames for players than they were for teams. I'm not really sure why that is, but, um, regardless, let's, let's ask you, Travis, I'm, I'm curious, the Palmdale blue stockings, where, where is the origin on that name?
3: Uh, it's incredibly recent. Actually, I, we, we were known as the pilots up until about three days before this phone call. Um, so, uh, Palmdale, uh, itself didn't exist in 1886. It was still being founded at that point. Um, uh It was originally called palmmanhal um you know, which didn't quite sound good on a on a big jersey so um it's it's uh known for its uh aerospace industry out here you know uh we're pretty much known for two things, which is planes and movies um so neither of which existed in in, in the late eighteen hundreds as I was naming this team I, I was trying to come up with just different ideas uh, I was thinking. You know, the pioneers, but our local colleges only called that. And I tried to come up with just, you know, animal names, but they either just didn't sound right or local high schools had them. Uh, I looked through, uh, you know, Baseball terminology, aces, hands, you know, things like that. And they were either overused or sound good with Palmdale. Um, so I settled on, you know, even though we did baseball, we're a modern team playing 21st century, just in that style. So I said, you know, as a nod to our aerospace, uh, we'll, we'll call ourselves Palmdale Pilots. And so we made all the social media and everything for the pilots. Um, but then it still just, you know, stuck in my craw and a few other people. And then uh, once we started kind of getting. Known, um, you know, we have uh, a little bit of backlash stuff that, that really changed my mind, but it kind of brought it back up. And uh, so I looked down at my uniform and I said, "You know what? We have navy blue socks. We're going to be the Blue Stockings." Okay. Um, but. After I made that decision, I looked it up, and uh, there was a, a, a team, uh, the Toledo Blue Stockings, uh, in the in 1884. They played in the American Association in the major leagues for one year, um, and during that time, they had two African American players, but making them technically the first integrated team in majors. Um, so, if anyone wants to come out about this name, I'd refer them to Wikipedia.
0: Hmm, interesting. So there's a good mix of, you know, tying in the history, but also trying to focus on what I think early baseball really tried to do was to build up town pride and uh, recognition. Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah, and that's that's one thing that really um, got me excited about starting a team in my hometown was just to be, you know, be the, be the first vintage team. There's softball teams that are a dime a dozen. Everyone I know is playing on a softball team or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. So for West to, you know, start everything up and give us the opportunity to bring it to our town and uh, really market it and try to build it from the ground up, it's it's been exciting.
0: So that's, that's a great uh, segue into the next question, guys. Um, as you establish these teams in each of your towns, what types of people that you've seen – typically come out to participate in playing on these teams? You know, what what kind of people are you drawing? Is it college kids? Is it
3: historians? Is it, you know, older people? What's the mix like? Well, this is Travis. Um, It it seems to be a good cross-section. I have uh, somebody on my team that just turned 18, uh to To meet the insurance requirements before the first game, and uh we have some all the way up into their early to mid fifties uh you know so it, it's it's a good cross section of ages um and you know different body types uh you know uh, a lot of people could turn something into a double, but i'm barely chucking in the first. <laughs> um, you know, so it's it, it's it's just a good, uh, well-rounded look at uh, the different people in our community. Yeah, this is
1: Wes. Um, just to chime in on that, I also have seen like, like myself. I've played baseball all my life, um, up until college and and adult, you know, adult leagues. So you you get guys like me who are playing um, guys with a little bit more, maybe more experience. Maybe they went into their college, uh, three four years into college playing, and then you have guys who just you know, they all they played up to was like Little League and, and then you got the historian guys that are just all about the vintage stuff and they just want to put on the uniforms, go out there and have some fun and learn the rules, um, which uh, is super cool because it everybody's almost balanced out because of the equipment. Going back to that, it's like everything has to be relearned because you're doing everything. Um, your, your, your fundamentals are huge in this game. And it's like a lot of times we like players like myself, I've gotten lazy with, you know, like Chris said, uh, four or five extra inches on my glove and a lighter bat to swing and just those types of forms. So it's kind of uh, evens out, even uh, the playing field with the equipment we have and, and the different experiences, it just kind of, it balances itself out. And I'm seeing a lot of different types of people wanting to get involved.
0: So you mentioned that your youngest player is 18. Do you guys know who you're, like what's the age of your oldest player in the league?
2: <laughs> uh without the- any notes. Uh, yeah, I think we have someone who's 55. 55 our okay. oldest.
0: Gotcha. So yeah,
2: that's on the that's on the smudge pots. Yeah, he could actually <laughs> catch a ball and not feel, you know a fly
1: ball better than probably you know most yeah. of our players, so.
2: Yeah, wow. I would say that There you go. Up-
1: I would say the Crestline Highlanders uh, got maybe a player in his, in his 50s as well.
0: Hmm. Very So, okay, that's interesting to see. You've got, like you said, a really good cross-section of people joining up. So talk to me a little bit about the fans that come to these games. Is it also a, a neat cross-section? Do you see mostly family members and friends? Is it history buffs that are showing up there? Who, who comes to see these games usually?
3: at this point uh we haven't had a, an official season game yet we've had a couple of small exhibitions um so it has just been friends and family at this point uh but as we're going into the inaugural season of the league uh we're all about to do a major social media push and see if we can get uh just people from our communities in um the, the mayor of Palmdale just recently uh, contacted me and wants to come out and try the first pitch in our home opener. So, uh, you know, we're going to try and get a little bit of, uh, you know, old media, new media, press, uh, see if maybe we can try and get people just in the community involved.
0: Very good. That, you know, I wish you guys all the best. That's, that's a great place to be. And, you know, I found you on social media. I found it fascinating. If it wasn't a, you know, a 36 hour car ride, I'd be there to watch a game too.
3: So. <laughs> It's probably only three by plane, though. That's true. Uh, I'll start yeah, saving. Take the now.
0: train. Take the train. <laughs> so, and maybe this will help in terms of the growth of the league as you go. I'd like to know, and Wes, you'd probably be the best to answer this. If you have someone who's listening to this who's in Southern California, maybe moving to Southern California, maybe decides to move after hearing this podcast, if they were interested in joining a vintage baseball team, especially yours, where would be a good place to start?
1: Well um, social media, like I said, uh, uh, like you said uh, instagram we're on instagram uh, soCal vintage baseball we're also on we also just started a website so scvbb.com, dot uh, com and we're also on Twitter now and facebook so um, that's probably the best way to contact us right now is through social media and try to plug you in on one of these clubs that has a, a space and if not you know and i'm going to uh, I'm going to kind of say this, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, that I want to have another, I'm already thinking about 2020. I'm already thinking about getting another club going <laughs> in Southern California. Uh, I don't think I'm going to wait for someone to just pop up and say, I want to start a club. I actually think I'm going to go out there and uh, I'll get the ball rolling and, and recruit guys for the club.
3: Very good. Yeah. We yeah. need those Hollywood stars back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Work on, you know, landing. uh, I'm trying to think of a Hollywood celebrity right now. Yeah, that would be great if you could land someone like that. But you know, I think just watching those, like I said, that vintage baseball game that happened every year, you'd get three, 400 people showing up to that, that small um, field in Clinton to watch this vintage baseball game, because it just, it gets people, I think in a nostalgic mood um, to really tie into their roots and it's fun to watch and it's good for kids. And it's, you know, it's not uh I mean how much does it cost to go to an MLB game nowadays? This is a good this is a good second option for families. I, I think the potential's there, definitely.
1: Oh yeah, I definitely agree. We had a um we had a uh a, a Memorial Weekend we had a was it Memorial Labor Day? Labor Day weekend.
3: It was Labor Day and, weekend.
1: Yeah, Labor Day weekend. So um the Crestline Highlanders um because we had our uniforms we were more established um at that point, we um we got in uh, communication with the Bay area vintage baseball league, which is the Northern league. That's been around for 15 years plus possibly. Um, and we reached out to them and they, one of their teams, actually the Oakland colonels uh, decided they wanted a barnstorm. They've been wanting a barnstorm and they, they came all the way over here to Southern California. And uh, we played them in two matches um, in Crestline on a Saturday and a Sunday. And we, we, um, Got it advertised, and uh, we kind of talked to uh, local media. And and we actually the first game we had about between two to three hundred people just show up just to watch that. Wow! And and the second game was just a little bit less. It was on a Sunday, but um, it was quite a quite a few people that showed up just uh, even on a Labor Day weekend when everyone had plans. And that actually um, uh, was really good. And 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 the Crestline team, it's a little easier with the Crestline team because it's a small town to get that, uh, get everyone rallying around it. Um, While the other, you know, like Riverside, Long Beach, and any of the other clubs, it's a little harder because they're in a bigger area, bigger city. There's so much going on. Um, So we want to see those teams also uh, get the backing of their city and their town, and just we want to kind of push, like Travis said, um, and let people know what's going on.
0: Well, it definitely takes people who are as excited about it as you guys to grow it. So – that leads me into my last question. I'd like to hear from each of you why, why you decided to get involved in playing vintage baseball. Why do you do what you do? Wes, I'd like to start with you because you're the commissioner. You you got this all going. What, what drove you to get involved with this part of baseball and baseball history?
1: Well, it's kind of... Uh... It was kind of an accident, I guess. Uh, <laughs> when, uh, a good accident. I, uh, you know, I, I I played baseball, like I said, all my life, and uh, I was playing in an adult league. I actually ran a team in Southern California that was a, a pretty good team. We were doing tournaments and winning and stuff. And I ended up moving for work up to uh, from LA to uh, San Jose, which is Northern uh, California, the Bay Area. And when I got up there, I wanted to get plugged myself into a, a baseball adult baseball league, and that's where I came across the Bay Area Vintage Baseball League. Um and I I actually showed up to a game and, and I and the first thought I you know, I'm a I'm a eight man out like one of my best <laughs> favorite movies. And so when I saw it, I was like, oh no, it's like eight men out. Like what am I watching here? This is crazy. And so um when I started talking to the uh the coach on the team, he actually was the uh commissioner or founder of the league. And uh he he I told him I'm interested in playing, he got me on his team and I actually played there for a whole year in 2008 for the San Jose group. And, uh, I knew I was coming back to LA. So when I moved back to LA, he, uh, I was talking to, uh, the, the commissioner at the time and he said, Hey, there's nothing like it in Southern California. It'd be awesome for you to start something and maybe we can get something going between the two uh, leagues. And, uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. I, you know, I, I loved how it looked. I loved uh, the challenge of it with a little glove and the bat and, uh, but it, I really didn't have uh, – I really kept that idea in my back pocket for like 10 years until I uh, actually decided to move forward with the league.
0: Chris, what about you? What got you involved with vintage baseball?
2: Uh, I, I'd have to just – it all boils down to for the love of the game. Um, just growing up, always been a baseball fan, but always always more um, concerned with the history of the game. I'm a, I'm a purist when it comes to that. Uh, stuff about the modern game is kind of – you know, like you said, price to the price for admission or these contracts that are being dished out. And so just reverting back to more of like a simpler time evoking those memories of yesteryear for people. I think people are interested in that just to kind of escape from like all the modern or modern society and the, the pace of it. And like for fans to go out there and also to, to do it for our city. Um, that was intriguing to me. And also just, I mean, the only opportunities you have to kind of play the game when you get older, or playing in a softball league, which you know with metal bats and in, in these these leagues where you know just people don't respect the game or know the game, and they're just out there just trying to mash a softball over a short fence. That kind of got old. So having this opportunity, I always looked at you know these leagues on you know Instagram in the East Coast or down in the South, and for one to be you know located in our backyard, it was. It was exciting, and then just kind of reconnecting with friends through the team. And I have a couple coworkers on my team, so it's just kind of a nice little social event to kind of get out, get out of the house, and
0: you know, play play America's greatest game. You know, Travis, what about you? What What keeps you coming back to play vintage baseball with these guys?
3: Uh, I had a little bit more of a roundabout way. Um, I, I like odd things. Um, I like things that are pretty normal, but just slightly out. <laughs> um, I like I like uh, strange sports. You know, I, I used to play Quidditch. Uh, you know, I play all sorts of different things. And uh, I'm, I'm also heavily into the steampunk community uh, out here. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of crossover of that late 19th century kind of um, aesthetic. And uh, one day, I, it was around 4th of July, a few years back, I just said, hey, I, I see all these, you know, Civil War reenactors and World War II reenactors. I wonder if there's anybody that does you know, vintage baseball. And so I just Googled it up. And it just so happened that uh, right at that point, the Redondo Beach team on here was starting. And this was uh, prior to my having met Wes or anything like that. And uh, I wish he was in the, on this phone call, but Jay uh, was uh, also had formerly played in the Bay Area. And uh, he was starting the Redondo Beach Warp Rats. And uh, so I practiced with them for a year or so, um, but there was no other team to play again. And then uh, he connected with Glass, who was starting Crestline at the time. So I transferred over and played with Crestline for about a year because, honestly, they were much, much closer to me than Redondo Beach. Uh, Crestline's only an hour from Redondo Beach. is about two if there's no traffic. And um, so I played with Crestline for a year. And then uh, as we were trying to put together a league, we needed four teams. I said, you know what? Hey, I'll try something in Palmdale. So, uh, yeah, before there's even been an official game, I've already played for three different teams. <laughs> so you're the journeyman of the league
0: then i take it huh that's right <laughs> well hey travis on a completely side note if you're looking for a, a neat new odd sport to check out i just moved to miami here in uh, july and this is an up-and-coming sport that's being revived because it used to be really popular in miami it's called highlight have you ever heard of it mm-hmm. no i haven't oh so, so we, just it's kind
2: of like yeah where you throw that ball really hard in the kind of like lacrosse net
0: Yes, exactly. It's like, it's like racquetball, but you use this weird scoop on the end of your hand and the ball can kill you if it uh, gets in the wrong place. Sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Check it out. It's fun to watch. (laughs) Well, guys, I would love to close out by giving you the opportunity to talk about how people can learn more about your respective clubs and how they can connect with you on social media. Wes, I want to start with you again because you mentioned that you have a website now for the league. if you can mention that again, and just overall, if people are interested in following the SoCal Vintage Baseball League, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, so we just started a website. It's, um, it's just the abbreviation for SoCal Vintage Baseball, scvbb.com. Um, we're also on Instagram uh, as SoCal Vintage Baseball, and on Twitter as well, SoCal Vintage Baseball, and on Facebook.
0: Okay. And Chris, uh, how can people follow you and the Smudge Pots?
1: Yeah, on Instagram,
2: we are at Riverside Smudge Pots. And then we're also on Facebook. It's just Riverside Smudge Pots. We try to post, you know, kind of things we're working on, um, merchandise we're trying to come out with, little buttons, things like that. So trying to do a few posts a week, but you can definitely connect with us. And if you're interested in playing, um, send me a direct message on uh on our instagram we would be happy to connect with you Chris do you do your own uh graphic design for your posts on instagram yeah we do some of that I'm, a, I'm not a graphic designer but my friends and I we get together and we had somebody design something for us but yeah most of the stuff we, um, we're we making at, at my house <laughs> uh, you know press ironing it on pressing it I have a couple button makers here so yeah we're just messing around all the time it's fun I like that aspect of it so
0: your, uh, your design game is strong on your Instagram page. Thank I'm you, always, my friend. Thanks, yeah. Thanks Jeff. Very,
2: appreciate very, that. <laughs> very,
0: I, I'm always impressed with the, the posts that are coming out from your page, so very good. Um, Travis, what about for the Blue Stockings? If people are interested in following your club, how can they do that?
3: Okay, again, through the SCVBV website, but also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Palmdale Blues. Um. And, uh, also just let me throw this in here. If anyone wants to play, you know, message us, uh, we're still looking to fill out the roster a little bit, but also, um, if anybody in Southern California is interested in being an umpire for our league, we're still hiring, uh, SIRS at this point. So they can contact either myself or Wes, if they're interested in, uh, officiating, um, some of these vintage games.
0: Now, Travis, does that come with free cigars?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll discuss that. Is that going to the league, beeswax?
0: <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate having the chance to talk about not only the league, but about you know baseball in Southern California and just the vintage baseball movement in general. I appreciate your time, um, ladies and gentlemen. If you're interested in following any of these things, I will make sure to add all of the social media connections and websites that were mentioned in the show notes. So guys, thank you very much. Have a good night. Thank you. Has has anybody on the call seen the movie Highlander? Way back. Okay, good, good. So that that leads to my next question. Wes, when you guys win a game, do you all like turn to the other team and say there can be only one?
1: (laughs) There can only
0: be one. Uh, No. Feel free to adopt that. You know, I won't copyright Uh, it. Yeah. (laughs)